Interfaith Church, everybody good today? You ought to enjoy the like, warmth a little bit, right? Pastor Steve brought a little bit of the warmth back with him. We can thank him for that. He could have brought the beats and the waves and everything else with him, but he didn't, so that just shows you how much he loves you. But <laughs> glad y'all are here today as we do. We close out this 767 series. Honored to be with you. Uh, really, really quickly, I want you guys here in Florence to do me a favor. Put your hands together. Welcome everybody in Lawrenceburg right now. We love you guys. We have hundreds of people every single week. God is blessing Lawrenceburg. We love you guys and everybody online. Welcome today. We're going to shut 767 down. We are going to land the plane. But before we do that, really, really quick recap in case some of you may have missed a week or two. Week one, if you'll remember back, Pastor Steve talked about departures and arrivals, that we all have destinations in life that we want to get to. You have a place that you want God to take you. The problem is you can't get to a new place before you're okay with leaving an old place. So you have to go through a departure before you can ever make it to a new destination. That was week one. Week two, we talked about packing light. We talked about baggage and how so often when you, when you look at traveling, baggage is the stuff that slows you down. It holds you up. It costs you to carry baggage. And so we talked about packing light and, and kind of clearing some of that baggage out of your life. Week three, we talked about listen up. We said that we have a pilot in our life that the Holy Spirit leads and guides, that he speaks to you as a Christ follower. The problem is that we let the world talk so loudly that we miss the voice of our captain and we don't hear the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us. Last week, pastor talked about uh, detours and how detours are part of the destination, that, that sometimes God leads you to a different place because he has to get some things out of you before he can take you into the place that he has for you. And so today we're going to land the plane. But before we do that, I have a confession that I need to make. And it's not that I'm pulling for the Patriots today, even though I am. There we go. Rams don't belong. I'm sorry. They just don't. So that's not my confession. I have another confession to make. And I'm hoping I'm not the only one brave enough to confess this here today. Um, but it hit me this week a little more than normal. But I'm selfish. Anybody else in here would, would join me and be honest? Raise your hand, selfish. Okay, everybody else is liars, and it's better to be selfish than be a liar. So I'm selfish. Um, it's true, and I, I recognize this to a certain point because it's human nature for us to be selfish. But this, this last week, I, was, um, I picked up one of my sons. I've got three boys. They're all rad, really cool kids. But I picked up one of them, and, and we had an errand to run. And so um, my taste in music and radio programming is kind of eclectic. Like you might get in and hear Tupac. You might get in and hear Willie Nelson. On this particular day, um, had you gotten in my vehicle, you have um, been joining me in listening to NPR. Um, all things considered, I love NPR. Welcome. You should listen to it every now and then maybe. Okay. I got some people. Um, so I get in with my 10-year-old, and, and I, you know, how was school, buddy? Good. You know, we're driving down the road, and, and I'm, I'm dialed in to all things considered, right? And, and all of a sudden, without any, like, notice, he, with his little 10-year-old finger, reaches over and changes my radio station uh, to some little teeny bopper junk that I didn't want to hear. And um, in that moment, I don't really know what happened. Like, I didn't, like, yell and scream, but I kind of, like, lost it a little bit. And I was like, what are you doing? Well, I just, like, listen, this is my car. And that is my radio. I pay for this car. That's my radio. Therefore, I'm the one that gets to decide what we listen to. And we're not listening to this 
because I'm dialed into a very interesting documentary on Yemen. Okay? And so I turned it back and I would made my point because I told him, I was like, listen, son, especially in the South, there are three things you do not touch. You do not touch a man's radio. Do not touch a man's remote control. And you do not touch a man's woman. That's the three. Don't touch that. So we had our little, like, I'm teaching him how to be a man moment, you know, and I'm driving down the road and as I'm listening now to this documentary that I'm like, he's 10. Of course he doesn't want to listen to this. I don't know why I want to listen to this. And so changed the channel. I was like, but I'd made that decision, not you. <laughs> I made it because it's my car, right? And it hit me like I like my, like I need things my way. Like I'm, I'm selfish. I, I deal with that. I'm the same way with food. I don't share food, right? Like we go to a restaurant. Oh, we'll just split that. It's okay, I'm a little okay with it if they'll split it in the back and so they bring out two plates and I split your meal. But for when you go sit down and you're like, yeah, we're just going to split that if you'll bring an extra plate because then what happens is all of a sudden I get really like judgmental and as my wife, who's amazing, starts like splitting the food, I'm watching because I know what half is. <laughs> and so like I'm like, you, just, you, got, more, like, you got more than I did and I'm bigger than you, little. Um, desserts, like we'll go out on date nights. We do split desserts because God knows I don't need the extra sugar and carbs. So we will split desserts, and I'm way smarter than to draw a real line, but I have an imaginary line on whatever it is that we're eating, and like if her spoon like crosses into my line, all of a sudden like now I have to cross into her line to make up for what she took from mine because I... I'm selfish. I've just realized that. It's part of human nature. We all deal with selfishness to a certain degree. Now, hopefully, I'm less selfish now than I was when I was a kid, right? Like, kids are really selfish. But hopefully, we mature. We grow up. Like, we, we grow out of childish things like being selfish and fighting over food and radio. And, and like, we mature. We kind of get to this this place where we understand, you know what, it's not all about me, that there are other people living in this world. Get to that place. So today, I want to talk, as we've kind of been diving into this, uh, this metaphor, so to speak, of um, air travel, I want to talk about probably the most underappreciated group of people in air travel. And today, we're going to talk about the flight attendants. And the flight attendants are probably the most underappreciated because we are selfish. I looked up the statistics. The average airline, when you get on a plane, the average airplane has 143 passengers in the cabin. The average cabin of a plane is 914 square feet, which leaves you a little bit less than seven square feet in your journey. Like you got this little bitty tiny, like I'm more than seven square feet by myself, right? But you give me seven square feet, and then you put me in a metal tube with 200 other people and shoot me through the sky, and all of a sudden my selfishness goes through the roof. And you know who they are. They're the people that will hit the little button without any consideration to the fact that the guy behind them is six foot three, and they'll ram that back seat right into your knees, and you want to be like, hey, you are selfish. Get up. That's rude. You're now in, you gave me less than seven square feet now because you have no consideration for other people. You see it getting off a plane, right? 
land the plane, and everybody's like, you know, you're like taxiing to the, and what does everybody want to do? Like, they fight you to stand up. Like, where are you going? You're not going anywhere, but it's all selfish. Like, i got to get out first. got to get my stuff, because where I'm going is more important than where you're going. And, and flight attendants have to deal with this. They have to deal with selfish people. The problem is that for so many of us, we look at flight attendants like they're waitresses in the sky. You want them to to bring you your Coke and your peanuts or your pretzels, and you want them to make sure you get that pillow and that blanket you ordered. And, hey, hey, flight attendant, where are my, where are my headphones? I can't watch the movie because you still hadn't brought me what I, what I asked for because I'm selfish. Flight attendants have to deal with that. But did you know that flight attendants, their number one job is not service. It's security. Flight attendants, their job is to make sure that those 200 people on that plane get to the destination that you're going to safely and securely and that everybody's taken care of, flight attendants are there more for your safety than your service. Flight attendants, fun fact, flight attendants actually go through hand-to-hand combat training. In case somebody busts up with a weapon, the flight attendants know how to to deal with the situation should it arrive 30,000 feet in the air. Flight attendants go through firefighter training. They have to know how to put out a fire on an airplane while it's traveling through space because guess what? 911 can't respond that fast. If the cabin's on fire, we need to do something about it, and the flight attendants are the ones that get to respond and do something about it. They're trained in um, delivering babies. If a mom goes into labor, they know how to deliver the child safely. It's amazing. They're like ninjas in the sky. They actually go through extreme survival training in case the plane crash lands in um, some desolate area in some like snowy covered mountain range or, you know, some desert somewhere. The flight attendant crew is actually trained on how they can most safely take you 200 people, keep you together and lead you so that hopefully you can stay alive until rescue can come. It's amazing what they go through and yet we look at them thinking you're here to serve me. Where's this? Where's that? But the flight attendants, they understand. It's not about them. Their job is to take care of the people on that plane, the people who are on their journey. It's the flight attendant's job to be there for them. When you talk about flight attendants, that's that's become the politically correct term for people in this profession. But for many of you, when you think flight attendant, what is the term that you would describe that profession as? Stewardess. You're a stewardess, right? Do you know what the root word of stewardess is? Steward. And biblically, the word steward is a really, really big deal to steward. Look at this. What 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 10 says, Peter says, To the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, above everything else that you do, Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve who? Others, not yourself. It's not about you. Use the whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You see, what Peter is saying is that you are called to be a steward. You're called to be a good steward, a faithful steward. 
This guy that we've been looking at throughout this entire 767 series by the name of Abraham understood the principle of stewardship. He understood that life itself was not about him, right? And he's Father Abraham. Y'all remember, like, if you grew up in church, y'all remember the song, right? Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. (laughs) So let's all praise the Lord. Right on, Father Abraham. We've got a support group for those recovering from. That's Father Abraham, but yet he understood, and we're going to look at it today, that life wasn't about him. He understood stewardship. And so today I want to look at the four principles of stewardship laid out through the life of Abraham so that we can understand our role as stewards in the kingdom of God. Look at this. The first principle we're going to talk about is this idea of ownership. Ownership. You see, biblically, there's no room for you to say mine, for you to be selfish. Because when you talk about ownership, Scripture is very, very clear that you don't own anything. Look at this. Psalms chapter 24, verse 1 says that the earth is the Lord's. That's where we live. Some of you think you live somewhere else. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people, belong to him. You see, ownership, this is the fundamental principle when you talk of stewardship. The understanding that it is not mine. I don't own anything. And yet God in his goodness and in his grace gives us good things to enjoy and to steward or to manage. Right? You are the administrator of what God owns, and yet he gives you time and talents and resources and families and spouses and all of these blessings that God gives you. He's given them to you to steward, but you don't own them. They're his. They're not yours. That kid, it's not yours. That's his kid. And he's given that child to you to steward and to raise up in his ways as his steward. Look at this story of Abraham. We're going to dive into Genesis chapter 13, um, starting in verse 5. And we're going to pick up learning about Abraham and this guy that has been traveling with him, his nephew named Lot. Okay, and we're told in verse 5, chapter 13, Lot, who was traveling with Abraham, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle, and many tents. So this journey that Abraham and Lot have been on has been very, very good for them financially. They are receiving blessings. Their their wealth and their influence is growing. Verse 6, we're told, But the land could not support both Abraham and Lot with all their flocks and herds living so close together. This is like a real estate issue. Like you've been there before, you get married, it's just you and your spouse, and you go find your little one-bedroom apartment, and then all of a sudden you have a kid, and guess what? We're out of room. I need more space. I need to, I need to expand where I live because there's not room for us, and there's some disputes happening, and it's exactly what happened with Abraham and Lot. We're told, so that disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abraham and Lot, For at that time, even Canaanites and Perizzites were living in the land. So that the land was completely full. There was nowhere else for people to live. And so they started fighting and fussing and arguing over that line. Well, that's mine. No, that's mine. Well, that's 
that's the area that my cattle grazes on. No, that's where my cattle, and they started having issues. So Abraham steps in, and look what he does. Verse 8, finally, Abraham said to Lot, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. For after all, we are close relatives. We're family. Let's not fight over this. Verse 9, the whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any selection of the land you want, and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land to the right. If you prefer the land on the right, then I will go to the land on the left. See, Abraham is the leader. He's the boss. He's older. He's more wealthy. He's more influential. This is the perfect opportunity for Abraham to say, well, here's what I'm going to do. Because I'm the leader, I'm going to take this land, and Lot, you're going to go over there, and we're going to separate so that we don't continue to fight. But you see, Abraham understood this principle of ownership, that it wasn't his. There was no room for selfishness in Abraham's mind. And so what does he do? Even though he has every right to take whatever land he wants, he looks to his nephew Lot, and he says, listen, what do you want? And whatever you take, I'll take what's left because I know it's not about me. It's not about what I want and what I like. You pick yours and, and we'll go. And so that's what they did. As the story goes on, Lot, his nephew, ends up choosing the lands in the east. And if you were kind of breaking down these lands, the lands in the east were um, much more influential, much more um, appealing in terms of worldly things at that time. The lands in the east included two cities that if you kind of grew up in church or you've been around um, church for any amount of time, you've probably heard of them. Um, it was the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, later on, we find out that God destroys those cities for the, the perversions and all the sin that was taking place, right? But this is all before that. At this time, when Lot is given the opportunity, this whole region was very blessed. So in essence, what Lot did was he said, Abraham, I'm going to take New York and L.A., you take Iowa. That's kind of what he did. Like, I'm going to take the wealthy. I'm going to, I'm going to go with the glitz and the glamour. I'm going, to, I'm going to take the good stuff. You go that way. And Abraham understood because Abraham got this principle of ownership and he knew that, that selfishness never pays off and selflessness always pays off. Ownership. Second principle I want to talk about is this idea of responsibility. Responsibility. It's, a, it's an aspect of stewardship. And Abraham got this because you see, once Abraham and Lot had separated and they'd went their own ways, right? Lot had basically taken advantage of Abraham. But Abraham was fine with that. Lot goes and settles in the land to the east where Sodom and Gomorrah and and everything the world would say. The problem is that all of a sudden, a battle breaks out. And we're going to pick it up. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 14, verse 8. We're told that then the rebel kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and Bela, also called Zoar, prepared for battle in the valley of the Dead Sea. They fought against King Keterlaomer of Elam, King Tadal of Goim, King Amraphel of Babylonia, and King Arioch of Elisar. Four kings against five. People talk about the Bible not being relevant, but literally what you're seeing in the book of Genesis is Game of Thrones. It's happening right in front of you. Four kings against five, the battle for the throne. Who's going to come out victorious? 
And Lot finds himself right in the middle of a battle that he didn't want to be a part of. Four kings against five. What happens? Verse 10 says that as it happened, as the battle took place, the valley of the Dead Sea was filled with tar pits. And as the army of the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into the tar pits, while the rest escaped into the mountains. The victorious invaders, that's Keterlaomer's army and his allies, they then plundered Sodom and Gomorrah and headed for home, taking with them all the spoils of war and the food supplies. They took everything, all the gold and the resources and the cattle and the tents and the women and the children. They took everything and began heading back home, including, look at what it says in verse 12, they also captured Lot, Abraham's nephew who lived in Sodom and carried off everything he owned as well. Verse 13, good news, but one of Lot's men escaped and reported everything to Abraham the Hebrew who was living near the oak grove belonging to Mamre the Amorite. Mamre's relatives, Eshcol and Aner, were Abram's allies. Verse 14, this is where all of a sudden you see this stewardship take place. You see Abraham understanding this, this principle of responsibility. Because in verse 14, we're told that when Abraham heard that his nephew Lot had been captured... Immediately, he mobilized the 318 trained men who had been born into his household. Then he pursued Keterlaomer's army until he caught up with them at Dan. There he divided his men and attacked during the night. Keterlaomer's army fled, but Abraham chased them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. Abraham <laughs> recovered all the goods that had been taken and brought back his nephew Lot with his possessions and all the women and the other captives. Game of Thrones breaks out and Abraham wins. The first battle recorded in the Bible. But you see, Abraham didn't have to do anything. He didn't have a dog in the fight. He's not from this area. His nephew has already mistreated him, took advantage of him, like really Lot got what he asked for. You're the one that wanted to go be there. Why would Abraham have to take all the trained men of his household, the people who are trained to protect his possessions and his families, why would Abraham have to put himself on the line for somebody else? See, it all comes back to stewardship. Abraham understood that he had the ability to do something about the issues that his nephew found himself in. He knew he had the ability, and therefore there was a response that was required of that ability. It's responsibility. And so Abraham knew he didn't have a choice. He had the ability to do something, and so he responded. The question that so many of us need to ask ourselves as we're closing out this series is, what ability do you have? What has God given you to steward? What resources, what talents and abilities what time do you have? All those detours that you went through, all those things that you've experienced along your journey to the destination that God's taking you has prepared you for the place that you currently are. And you have to ask yourself the question, God, what do I have the ability to do? Because you have to understand that there is a response that is required. You have responsibility to use your ability to serve others in love. It's a principle of stewardship. 
It's not an option. Scripture doesn't let you be selfish. See, God owns it all, but he blesses us with so many amazing gifts, but we are responsible for what we do with it. Because you see, the third principle of stewardship is accountability. Accountability. Look at this, Genesis chapter 14, verse 17. We're told that then after Abraham returned from his victory over Keterlaomer and all of his allies, the king of Sodom, this rebel king who had started this whole mess, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, got a new character in the story, Melchizedek, the king of Salem and a priest of God Most High, brought Abraham some bread and some wine. You see, after the battle was over, Abraham has all the riches. Now he's recovered all the people and all the gold and all the cattle and all the herds. But you see, on his way back, there are these two kings, the king of Sodom representing the kings of the world, right? This wealthy, influential king. And then you've got this King Melchizedek. Now I don't have time to go into who um, Melchizedek was and what some theologians believe, but I just will tell you many theologians believe that, that Melchizedek was actually Jesus himself one of the first times we see Christ coming to the earth in human form. And so what we see in this, this confrontation is that Abraham is now in terms of possessions, he's wealthier and more influential and more powerful than he's ever been his entire life. He was wealthy and influential before, but now he has five kingdoms worth of gold and silver and goods at his disposal. But you see, there are these two kings waiting on him because now he has to give an account for what he has, for what he just did. And he stands before these two kings, and now there's, there's two options that he kind of has to deal with. You've got this king who represents the world. And as you kind of continue reading through the story, what we see is that the king of Sodom tells Abraham, listen, if you'll just give me the people back, if you'll return the people to us, you can keep all of the goods and all the resources. Like, you can, you can be rich. But Abraham, understanding this last principle we're going to talk about in the fourth principle of stewardship is this idea of reward. Because see, Abraham knew something, that the world can promise you whatever it wants. But Abraham's response to the king of Sodom, as you kind of read through the story, is that he tells him, let it never be said that you made Abraham rich. Let it never be said that my success, that the blessings that I have came from the world. You didn't make me. And then he turns to this character of Melchizedek, and this is what we see. Genesis chapter 14, verse 19. We're told that Melchizedek, this representation of the Lord, of Christ, of God, and of the heavenly blessings, Melchizedek blessed Abraham with this blessing. Blessed be Abraham by God, most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods that he'd recovered. 
See, this isn't a tithing message, but what did Abraham do when all of a sudden he became the richest, most powerful? He tithed off of it. Because you see, he understood this principle of ownership that it doesn't belong to him. It's not mine. Scripture said, God, you won this battle for me. You blessed me with this gift. You blessed me with this family. You blessed me with the ability to make this money or to have this influence. And he understood the second principle that he had a responsibility to do something with the ability because he was going to be held accountable. And he knew that the reward he sought would not come from the things of this world, but from the things of God. And you see, for you and I, the the reward that we want, it's not the blue check beside your name on Instagram. It's not the massive 401k and the, the huge bank account or the big house. It's some words that are spoken in Matthew 25 that our reward, the reward that we as Christ followers should seek is that one day when we stand before the king and we have to give an account for what we did with the blessings and the abilities that God gave us, what we want to hear is well done, my good and faithful servant. Depending on what translation you read, that word servant can be translated steward. Well done, my good and faithful steward, for I gave you all of these gifts. I gave you these blessings, this this ability. I gave you this artistic expression. I gave you the ability to make things with your hands. I, I gave you this ability to teach. And you didn't try to own it for yourself. You didn't try to make your name great. You were faithful and you understood that you had a responsibility to serve others in love. You see, we're the flight attendants on this journey of life. As Christ is taking people from where they are to where they're going. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. See, someone has to serve so that others can sit. You don't have to like it. You can disagree with me and all you would be doing would be disagreeing with Scripture. But the fact is, Christian, someone else's freedom depends on your faithfulness. Abraham didn't have to do anything. But had he not, Lot would have died along with his entire household and everything that he was. But you see, Abraham knew, my nephew, my family's freedom depends on what I do with the abilities God's given me. And so the question you've got to ask is, what what abilities do you have? And I love you enough to tell you that all of us will one day stand and give an account for what we did with what we were given or what we didn't do with what we were given. You're the stewardess. You're the steward. And the greatest reward comes from God most high, not from anything that this world has to offer. So if you're here, I've got a question for you, and I want you to be as dead honest as you can be. One day when you stand before God and you give an account for your life, If you want to hear him say those words, well done, I want you to raise your hand wherever you're at. Raise it. And guess what? 
do something. There's stewardship involved in being good and faithful. And I want to see every single one of you blessed like you can never imagine. God wants to bless you. But he's gifted you. We have a response to our ability. And we'll stand before God one day and answer for what we did with it. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are so good and you are so loving that when we did not deserve anything, Father, through your grace, you gifted us with unbelievable blessings. God, for our families and our friends, God, for the skills that we have, the talents and the abilities that we possess. God, we understand that they are not ours. We do not own them. They all come from you. And so, Father, I pray that every single person that can hear my voice, I pray that they would have the strength to give it back to you, to serve others in love, God, so that one day we can all collectively hear you tell us how proud you are, that we did a good job, that we stewarded well. Bless this house, God. Continue to let us do amazing things in your name because it's the name above all names. It's the name of Jesus. Amen. Guys, thank you so much. Listen, if you know you are not using your abilities, if you know there's more that you can give, I would challenge you. Go back to Next Steps. Learn how you can plug in. Learn how you can be a part of all that God's doing. Remember, next week is Group Link. Connect in relationship. We all have that ability, and we need each other. So I love you. I hope you have an awesome week, and we'll see you next week for a brand-new series.